Since uh, September 13th, we have uh, been on a journey together, talking here on Sunday morning about living free, and what does that, that truly mean, and, and then bringing it down on a practical level, um, many of us are, in fact, 80% of the church is involved in Financial Peace University at some point during the week, um, and learning as disciples, how do we practically take care of our money, our resources, our possessions, and what does that look like? And, and I love, I love the, the, the humor, and I love, I mean, I mean that, that kind of lets us laugh a little bit about stuff that is hard at times. It's, it's not easy. And sometimes when we think about our finances and the debt we have and, and the load that maybe we, we bear, it gets stressful, get a little anxious. But God wants us to look at our money. He wants us to look at our debt. He wants, wants us to look at our stuff, our resources. And he wants us to take it serious and, and really to step back and say, okay, God, how do you want us to handle this? Because often it's, it's how we want to handle it, right? And so this morning what I want to do is, is to, to take you back, give you a, a history lesson <laughs> of what was shared centuries ago and how we can apply this to our own life. Eric read it for us this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I want us to look there this morning. Before we do, let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you, um, God, for your word, and we thank you for the truth of it. We thank you that it applies to every area of our life, and, and God, even to our, our purchases and, and how we handle our finances, Father. It's, it's a big deal, and it's important to you, and Lord, sometimes we, we don't like to, to talk about it. We don't want to sometimes even think about it. But Lord, it's important. And so I pray this morning as we look back in the pages of, of history that we would see an important mindset of how we view our stuff, and how we view our money. And so Lord, help us today. Teach us and train us according to your word. Lord, we do pray for those this morning that are in need, those who, um, God, just need our prayers. We, we pray for Dan Avsek, who's uh, got bad news this past week about his cancer. We pray for him, that you would continue to be with him and give him healing and give him comfort. May your grace be real to him and near to him. We continue to pray for uh, Eli Elias, Lord. We thank you for our dear brother, his family. We pray you continue to surround them, and we do thank you for uh, good news this week. We pray that you continue to care for them and walk with them, Father. Um, God, speak to us now. Um, we need this word. Uh, help us to, to put it to feet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, we learn from history, or at least hopefully we learn from history. I don't know about you, but when I was in grade school, and especially in high school, history was the last thing I wanted to learn. I, I did not like history. Some of us in here, we, we may be history buffs, but when I started to get into college, I started to grow fond of, of history, especially as I was growing as a disciple in Christ, I, I started really embracing biblical history and, 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 and wanting to know a lot about the years gone by. Uh, this past Tuesday, I was in a local breakfast joint, and as I was sitting there eating, this gentleman walked up, and he had an old hat on, um, you could tell in his face and his hands and his arms 
just the story of life. And he was from a couple generations behind me, and he walked up, and you can tell he wanted to start to talk. And that, that, that kind of doesn't happen much anymore today if you're in a restaurant. Um, but he was kind of from a, an old school thinking that, hey, listen, this is kind of a, a joint. This is where we hang out. This is where we talk. This is where the walls talk, right? There, there's stories. And he, he came up, and he started engaging me in conversation. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, I, I can either finish up what, what I'm doing here, and, and I can make him understand, I, I want to go real quick here, and this is just a high-bye type thing, or if I engage him, this is going to go on for a bit. It went on for a bit, all right? Uh, coffee got cold and, and all that kind of stuff, and, but he started talking about World War II and just started talking about life and, and northern Washington State and living in a tent and his wife living on a boxcar way back when, and, and it just started me thinking, man, it's so much we learn from the days before, from, from history, and so much we can take from those times and how much times have, have changed. But oh, how much we can learn from those days before. And this morning as we, we look at this text, that's what we learn. We learn from the centuries of old about a nation, the nation of Israel. Generations way before us that, that teach us an important lesson. A lesson about money, a lesson about our resources, a lesson about our stuff. And the nation of Israel in Moses' day, they were a wandering nation that God was providing for and protecting as he has taken them out of slavery under the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. He had taken care of their every need. And as we look at the history today of this nation, we get a glimpse about how God wanted them to think about what they had their food, their clothing, their resources. It was a big deal. And so today we're encouraged to continue to remember, I think, two important facts. Facts that maybe many of us in here know, and we're like, oh, this is, this is old stuff. I, I get this. But do we remember it? Do we daily remember these two important facts? And they're simply this, that, that God is the owner. He's the owner. He's the owner of everything. And that you and I are his managers. We are his managers. And today, centuries gone by, encourages us to not forget that, but to remember that. And so as we look at verse 10 this morning, we begin with that in mind. And look at what the scripture tells us. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Now we're jumping in the middle of a chapter here. We're jumping in the middle of a, of, of a context where God is preparing the people of Israel to go into the land that he has promised them, the promised land. And here in verse eight, he is speaking to them futuristically of looking ahead. And he's asking Moses to deliver these words to the people. And as he does, he tells them, when you Get into that land when you have eaten, when you're satisfied. Remember that you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. And so God's preparing them for what is to come. And as he prepares them for what is to come, he wants them to also to look back. And we're going to look at back as well. But when you think about us this morning, where we're at, 
God has promised us, those who have trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, of an inheritance that is to come. That, that we one day will see Christ. That we will one day have the kingdom of God. That's our inheritance, and we will be with him forever. But the question is, how do we live in light of what is to come today? Because that's what God is trying to teach the Israelites. God has been so gracious to us to provide for us, yes, even now, but yes, with what is yet to come. And how do we live in light of that? Well, he says here to, to bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. And so he tells them that their first response is to praise God. To live a life that, that praises the Lord, that, that magnifies God for who he is and ultimately thanks him for all that he has provided. For in this scripture, it tells us that he has provided them all things, and especially this lamb that he is going to give to them. So he is the great provider, and he has provided all things for us. James 1:17 says, every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from where? Above, coming from the Father of lights. And so our first response to God this morning is to thank him is to magnify his glory for all that he is and all that he has done in caring for our every need. For Israel, he has given them food. He has given them clothing. He has met their needs, and he is giving them this land, and he will bring them into that land, and he wants them to know it has come from my hand. And so let's bring it down to today. We often, when we sit down for a meal, what do we do? We, we thank the Lord, right? We thank the Lord for our meal, let me ask you this, when, when that paycheck is handed to us or when that paycheck comes or when that direct deposit hits the bank account, what's our first response? Is it to thank the Lord? Is it to thank God for what he has given us? And we learn right here in the pages of history that that should be our first response is to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, to magnify him for what he has given to us. And so that's where we should begin. And then God gives a warning. He, he warns us from the pages of histories. In verse 11, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, and I am commanding you, or which I am commanding you Today And so the warning that God speaks through Moses here is that the Israelites are what? Not to forget God's commands. The commands that he is commanding them today, he tells them, do not forget these things. Because why? Because it will impact your heart. It will impact your life for the bad. And how will it impact? Well, Moses tells them. Look at verse 12 through 14. He says, Otherwise, when you have eaten and you are satisfied and have built good houses, lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks, they multiply, and your silver and gold multiplies, and all that you have multiplies, he says, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And so what does the act of forgetting God and his commands, what does it lead to? Pride, right? A prideful heart. And not only that, it seems like as we forget God and his commands that 
even more forgetting seems to happen. We forget where he has taken us from and where graciously he has brought us to. And so the picture here, what, what do we see in verse 12, 13 as we look at that? What's happening? Growth, right? Increase. Our income's increasing. Our resources, our assets, they are increasing. Our needs are being met. Our income is growing. And this is all good. It's, it's from the Lord's hand. But as John mentioned earlier, sometimes trials and the problems of life can blind us from God and his purposes, but so can success. So can more wealth. It can blind us from seeing that what we have received is from God's hand, that it's his provision, and understanding that all that we have has graciously come from him. And so sometimes success, sometimes increase, can lead to a false sense of self-sufficiency. And what does that do? It leads us away from God. And so when things are good, when maybe there's a job promotion or we get a raise, the kids are obedient at home. At nine o'clock, everybody laughed at that. I thought that was humorous. The kids are getting good grades. Everything seems to be going good. It's, it's, it's easy to sit back and think, I deserve this. I deserve this. We can convince ourselves that our blessings, all this increase, all this good is a result of what we have done, my hard work. And we could begin to think that this is our own accomplishment. And what happens, our hearts become proud when we start thinking that way. And that's a serious offense to God when we get to that place. In fact, in Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, Solomon tells us there are six things which the Lord hates. In fact, seven that are an abomination to him. He says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Those are the first three, but listen to the first one. Haughty eyes, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. What is that? It's snobbery, right? It's a prideful heart. And it says here that God hates that. He despises that. And so you and I are told here not to forget the commands of God. And don't forget that he has provided for you everything. If we do, the warnings here, it will lead to pride. And so Moses does this. He takes the Israelites back as he tells them, don't forget. Be sure you're a thankful people that you're praising God. Don't forget because if you do, it will cause you to have a prideful heart. And so what he does is he takes them back. Let me remind you of what God has done for you. And so look at verse 15 through 16. He says, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents, scorpions, uh, excuse me, scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought you Water out of a rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. And so if you think about all that God has done for the Israelites, bringing them out of the land of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and delivering them, and all that he's done for them in the 40 years in the wilderness, caring for them with water and even miraculously with manna that would fall from heaven to the ground so that they could eat, and Moses wants the Israelites, as God directs them, to recognize that God has done all of it. 
And so simply, God did this. God did it. And we, as well, cannot forget all that God has done. And not to think for one moment, I did this. And that's what he says in verse 17. He says, otherwise, if we don't remember this, if we forget what God has done for us, listen to what he says. You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. And so there it is. Our, our heart goes to a mindset where we say, I've done this. Not God has done this, but I've done it. And there's those times when more success comes or triumph or increase where we start thinking, I've worked hard for this. I've done a lot for this. I've worked hard to make this money. And so this is my money. And I can do with it what I would please. But that's not the mindset. That's not the attitude that God wants us to have. And so here's the question. What's the antidote, right? What's the help that you and I need so that we don't drift into that prideful zone, to have a prideful heart? He tells us in verse 18, he says, but you shall remember. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And so the antidote to a prideful heart that says my power and strength of my hand may be this wealth is what? Is to remember God. Just real simple. To remember God. Remember at the beginning today in the first few verses he tells us to do what? To not forget. Right? To, to not forget. But, but man, we can be forgetful people. Forgetting can be easy. And, and to not forget is kind of a a passive action. But to remember, that's a, that's a clear, assertive action. It's about being intentional. It's about being active. It's a sharp, controlled, self-disciplined mind that remembers. And we rem remember things we're having to do what? We're having to focus. And that's how we master our thoughts. We master what we think so that we think rightly about things. And so we're called here today to remember the Lord for he is the one who is giving us the power to make wealth. And so this is saying a lot here. This, this is a mindset change of how we see things. And so what does this mean? If we think rightly about these things, what does that mean when it comes down to the practical? What does it mean when it comes to our finances? What does it mean when it comes to our possessions? It means we're remembering that God is the owner and we're the manager. And so real simply this morning, think about that. Think about your money this morning. Think about all the resources, possessions you have. And think about it this way, that, that you are the bookkeeper, or you're the manager of you and company right? Your family. You're the bookkeeper. You're the manager of that. And so you're managing that, but you're managing someone else's money. It's not yours. And so who's the owner? Well, we've seen here this morning, it's, it's God. 
And other scripture testified to that. In Psalm 24.1, it says that the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, it belongs to him. It's all his. And then in Psalm 50, verse 10, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So the God is the owner of everything. He's the owner of the cattle. He's the owner of the hills that the cattle is on. He owns it all. And so we can't say that this money in my pocket, this money in my bank account, it's mine. It is all his. He owns it all. So what does that look like? If we sit back and think about that, what does that statement mean that he owns it all? And even the strength that it's his power that he is giving us to make wealth, what does that really mean? I think real simply when we step back and think about it is that God gives us our abilities. Every ability that we have in here this morning, it is God-given. God gives us our resources. Everything we have is from him. God gives us our skills. He gives us our talents. Some of you in here are amazing at what you do at work, whether it's in the area of technology, whether it's in the area of teaching, whether it's in the area of, of working with your hands during the week, God has given you that craft. God has given you that skill, that talent. He's given you the opportunities to earn money. Every job that you have, it comes from him. And not only that, he's given your body so that you can do the work, the strength, and even the energy to work. It all comes from him. And not only that, when you think about your job, he has given you those employers. And he's given those employers the money to even pay us with. So if you even think of down about the path and the trickle-down effect when it comes to you, that it all is from him. And not only that, your home, your family, even your business partners, your ideas, your dedication, your ingenuity, your initiative, you, you name it, you think of it, it all comes from him. And so he is the owner, and we are to be, as we read this morning, these grateful managers. And so what do we do with it? What do we do with our money? What do we do with our possessions? God gives us all that we have, why? Because simply he loves us. He loves us greatly. He cares for us. He, he thinks a whole lot of you and I. He's our biggest fan. And because he wants us also, he gives us what we need, what we have, because he wants us to use what he owns to magnify his glory. We see that in verse 10 this morning. And to bring about the good that he has called us to do. And those two things aren't separate. He wants us to, to do good with what he has given us, to magnify his name and to bring glory to his name, to be a testimony of who he is. And so it's all God's, and he's called us to manage it with that in mind. And so three things, three things to think about just real simply before we wrap up. First thing is you and I don't want to be bad managers. If, if, if this is true this morning, God's the owner, we're the managers, and he's given us everything to use for good and for his glory, we don't want to be bad managers. Simply recognizing that God's the owner, it's not enough. We've got to be good managers. 
Think about bad managers for a second. What do they do if, if you've ever maybe worked in a place where there's been bad managers or if we look at companies in, in the past where there was bad money managers, ultimately they do not take the money of the company seriously, right? And so as a result, they squander the money, they even steal it, but they don't handle it or value it right. And so if we manage badly the money, what, what does that mean? There won't be any, right? There won't be any to do with it what God wants us to, to do good for his glory. The second thing is, when we get confused about who the owner is, something sad happens. Here's what it is. Our attitude changes. Our demeanor is different and changes. Sometimes when we get more successful, when we get more stuff, and we get the roles reversed, and somehow we think we've done this, we can become greedy, we become moody, we become even anxious. And then ultimately, the sad thing is, we start to be close-fisted. We start looking at our money and we start protecting it instead of being what? Open-handed. And God wants us to be open-handed. He wants us to be generous with what we have, not close-fisted. But when we reverse the roles, when we somehow think we own this, that's what happens. And so the third thing is that he wants us to be generous givers. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul, in this section of Corinthians, he's talking about this great gift that the church has made to Macedonia and to care for the saints there, and, and they've been more than generous. They've been gracious with what God has given them, and, and listen to what he says as a result of that. He says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so God has called us to be generous, joyful givers. But honestly, when we look at this text this morning, you and I will not experience this if we have the wrong view of money and ultimately if we have the wrong mindset of who owns it and who's the manager. If we think it's mine, then we'll protect and we'll be closed but if we think it's God's, then my job then is to use what I have the way God tells me to. And so yes, we're to care for the needs that we have, our needs and our family needs with God's money. Yes, having nice stuff is, is not a bad thing, but here's the issue, the confusion and problem comes when all we're doing is spending our money on enriching our lives. And if that becomes our focus, then we lose track. We lose track of who truly the owner is and, and who the manager is. And so God, with the funds that he gives us, the resources we have, yes, he wants us to care for our needs and for our family, but he has also called us to be generous givers. That as he directs us and calls us and purposes in our heart to give, that we would be able to act with joy, generously. That's what God's desire is for us. And so today, I wanna to end by just asking one question. One simple question. So what? <laughs> so what? So, so what does this mean? 
When we read a text like this, when we hear these points that God's the owner, I'm the manager, so what? So what if he's the manager, or we're the manager and he's the owner? So what if everything we have belongs to him? And so what if he expects us to go and to do and to give generously? What does that have to do with my life? What does it have to do with right here, right now, today? I think back to the skit. That's one answer to it, right? It's having those conversations and, and looking practically of, with debt and how we handle our money. It changes our budgeting. It, it changes our giving. It, it changes even, right, our buying decisions like we saw. And truly, when we start thinking about this, when we answer the question, so what? The answer is, it changes everything when we start thinking this way. It impacts everything we do. And so I pray that over the last few weeks, since September 13th, many of us going through Financial Peace University, many of us he, sitting here on Sunday morning and hearing live free and what that means for our whole life, but when we practically get down to the day-to-day -day and how we handle what we have, that we would use it according to the way God wants us to. And so this morning, let's not forget. Let's not forget what God has done for us, what he has provided for us. Let's not forget that he's the owner and we're the manager. And let's actively remember that day to day so that we, instead of trying to protect our money and being close-fisted, that we instead would be generous givers for his glory and for the good that he wants to do. And so this morning as we close, I want us to think of Jesus, the perfect example of the greatest giver, the greatest generous giver, joyful giver of all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 Paul used Christ and what he did on the cross as a great example of what generous, joyful giving looks like. As we close today, I want us to remember that. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus is our example today. What he has done for us, I want us to remember. He came from heaven. He laid aside the glories of heaven, the riches of heaven, to come and dwell with man, to take on human flesh, to be obedient to the point of death, to the Father's will. He took on a criminal's death so that you and I could have life, that you and I could know the glorious riches of God in Jesus Christ. He became poor for us so that we could be rich in our souls with eternal life, with the kingdom of God. That's what Christ did. And so today, as we talk about real life stuff, as we talk about how to handle the day to day, as we look at our resources, I want you today to think about your heart, to think about your soul. 
Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever trusted in Christ and his death on the cross and accepted his free gift of eternal life? The Bible says if we believe in Christ, if we believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day, it says we will be saved, be saved from the penalty of hell and we'll receive eternal life. And so if you ever trusted in Christ, I pray today you would. He will change your life. Let's pray.